Hey, and welcome to the show today. You're listening to SinSensor.com, Feel Your Heart podcast. And we have another really great show for you today. Jennifer has a master's degree in marriage and family therapy. While she was getting her master's, she worked in a hospital emergency room as patient's advocate and a family counselor. She is also an expert in the John Gottman marriage and counseling method. This podcast is made by SenseSensor.com, the leading relationship institute for relationship skills and courses based on science made practical. To get the one-hour free webinar that will give you the key skills to get a safe, intimate, and passionate relationship, just go to SenseSensor.com and sign up. The link is in the description below. Don't forget to subscribe to this channel and leave a review. It really helps me keep the positive energy going to make more podcasts. Let's head over and speak to Jennifer. Welcome on the show today, Jennifer. I'm really excited to speak to you about especially small moments of connection. But I think before we jump into that, I want to talk to you a bit about the Gottman Method because I believe that you're trained in the Gottman Method. And I'm just, for people out there, they might not really even know what that is all about. Would you be able just to start maybe explaining a little bit what is the difference about the Gottman Method and, and what are these concepts about? Okay. Hi, thank you for having me. Uh, the Gottman Method, um, which I found um, a few years ago, is based um, on science. Um, John Gottman, who is based in Seattle um, in the United States, he came up with something called um, a love lab where he was able to, to bring people in and look at them and decide within five or 10 minutes, if they were going to, if they were going to stay together or not. Um, his wife, Julie, um, brought in more of the therapy aspects of what was going on. And together they formed um, a science-based therapeutic approach to counseling. So it's, it's really nice um, to have a structure in, in therapy, especially when you're working with two people at the same time. And they provided that structure in order to in order to get to really 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 what is going on um their their main concept is called the sound relationship house and the sound relationship house is how we re re rebuild relationships um and it starts with the bottom the starts with love maps and the, basically what you do is you build from the ground up and you build with um, friendship and intimacy and fondness and admiration, which is some of the things that we're going to be talking about today. Um, and then you go into the conflict section and you deal with how people talk to each other and fight. And then we go a little bit higher and we talk about um, create shared meaning. And the walls of the house are trust and intimacy. And the walls are really important. I'm sorry, trust and commitment. And the walls are really important because if someone comes in and one of the walls is broken, um, we have to start working on that first in order to, in order to start working on the foundation of the relationship. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It's really creating that safety, isn't it? I think I call it the the love bubble, but I like the analogy of a house as well. I think 
it, it kind of encompasses the same, that we need to establish that fundamental safety before we can work our way up and, and start to create flourishing as well with that. And I know that even from my own, you know, with my partner, that when recently we had an episode that, that threatened the foundation of the relationship, you could see how the ripple effect went on to everything else and other small events started having a negative bias and be interpreted in a negative way. And as soon as we did repair work and restored that foundation, that safety, then we went back into a positive bias where we started interpreting events through a positive lens. So it's really incredible to see the difference that that makes. And also, I think you mentioned something I really want to bring up because I think for many people out there, they might think, what what is this all about? You mentioned something called love maps. Would you be able maybe to to talk a little bit more about that, what that is, etc.? Yes. Um, love maps is, is knowing each other's world. Um, basically, we, you just talked about the security, the bubble. Um, when I started doing this work, I had an idea of what trust really meant. And now I have a completely deeper emotional connection to the word trust because to truly trust your partner, to give your partner your emotions, that takes a huge leap of faith. And so knowing each other's world is giving each other the benefit of the doubt if you don't know where the other person is or just staying connected. Um, one example of a, of a question of a love map is, is uh, tell, me, tell me your three best friends. And then you have to would say your partner's three best friends or tell me your favorite relative. So you're constantly keeping in touch with each other. So let's say there's a moment where you don't know where your partner is or you two weren't connecting. You have that trust faith base that you, that, okay, my partner is, is at work or my partner is, is with this friend. Um, so constantly knowing completely knowing each other keeps keeps that trust intimacy base going yeah i like that and i guess the the love map like you said is basically knowing all these different sides so also knowing each other's triggers so we know you know how can we avoid keep you know trick triggering each other what is each other's love language how can we best engage and nurture each other it's yeah it's just i guess getting this whole map and giving that to each other right so we are able to navigate. Otherwise, how are we supposed to find our way? We all know without Google Maps that we'll be lost. <laughs> and uh, I guess this is in some way the Google Maps maps of relationships of uh, of <laughs> of knowing how how to navigate each other. I know it's a fun expression, but it's just an analogy. And I also think it actually brings me on to something that I wanted to mention. And and I just had this thought while you were talking about this, is that we live in a world where culturally I feel a lot of young people struggle to commit because it's all about choice and we believe the more choice we have the better so we don't want to commit but it's very difficult to create safety when people don't want to make a commitment because like you said part of that is doing a leap of faith and saying I'm all in my resources my attention I'm here with you and we're gonna sort things out together um, so without commitment I guess it's hard to create safety don't you think or what, what would you say about that? Well, when, when I work with couples, when I tell them that in order to truly connect, you're going to have to share your emotions 
and the other person is going to have to be gentle and accept them. That's a very scary concept because what we, what couples normally do with communication is you didn't do this and you didn't do that and you didn't do this. But when you stop for, for a second and you say, um, I'm feeling very lonely because I'm, I'm feeling overwhelmed that I'm doing more of the housework and I want us to work better as a team. Okay, so that that takes a leap of faith that your partner is going to be able to stop and listen to you and say something gentle back, such as such as, okay, wow, I really didn't know that that was going on. Can we talk about can we talk about shifting household chores? And so to be able to really talk from feelings and talk about how how what's going on inside of you instead of just lashing out truly builds that intimacy level that that we're talking about i like that so maybe we should even add the word an emotional map because it's not just a logistical map of of i guess understanding where our partner might be if they're out it's also having an emotional map of their inner world right so we can really truly understand each other correct Correct. That word scares people a lot when I use it. Um, but then when I give them the tools and the resources to understand that it's okay and it's safe, that when you share your emotions with your partner, you're building intimacy with them. It's it's beautiful. It, it really is. Yeah, it's where the magic happens, isn't it? Vulnerability met with acceptance. That's where really some beautiful intimacy is able to suddenly happen where we can actually see each other rather than keep, you know, debating logistics, like you said, who did what and who should have done this, et cetera, et cetera. When we forget about the logistics and instead have these emotional conversations, something completely entirely shift. It's almost like we move from our, I guess, our very analytic brain over to the the part that's more responsible for empathy and we're able to actually feel empathy for each other rather than being defensive, right? Um, is there some other tools maybe that, that pops into mind that you think people could use from the Gottman method if they are kind of sitting here and think, yeah, I like this idea of a bubble and a house, but but how can, how can I do this? Because we're constantly arguing. What can couples out there maybe start? Of course, it offers, it's optimal to go to a therapist, especially if they're in a challenging place. But also, I even recommend doing that before we're in a challenged place. But if they want to try some, some things out at home, is there something that they could do, you think, right now after this podcast where they could sit down with their partner? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, tr I really try to make anything and everything that I help people with realistic in your lives. Um, so we're, we're busy people in general. We, we don't have a lot of time. So the connections that we need to make, they need to be small and they need to be meaningful. Um, that means something different to everyone. So I always stress to everyone that I work with, and I'm going to stress to to your audience, is put your own take on, on anything that I'm doing and saying. And if it doesn't work, move on to something different because, because everybody works a little different. Um, one thing that I notice a lot about um, the people that I work with is they stop acting like they're in a relationship. And you need you need to do that. And one of the one of the easiest ways to do that is say hello to each other in the morning. 
Um, now, if you don't, if you don't see each other in the morning or you're not morning people, this ritual can be done. This ritual can be done in the evening. You just, for five minutes, you sit and talk and you say, tell me something about your day. Um, and then the other partner says, tell me something about your day. And in order to do that, you're forming a connection with each other. Oh, okay, you have a dentist appointment today. I didn't know that you had a dentist appointment. It gives you an opportunity to connect even more later in the day because you can follow up and say, how was your dentist appointment? Was it good? Um, so it just starts out the day with a connection. Yeah, so it sounds like building rituals is something that's important because, uh, again, we have this idea that everything should be novel, new, and exciting. Um, but I guess stable relationships are built on more than, than just excitement alone. And, yeah, I like I like that idea of rituals. Are there, are there maybe some other... Because you're right, you bring up an important point that people are probably listening and saying, a lot of this therapy and advice is great, but I don't have time. I work long, I come home, I need to make food, I have kids... I, I don't have two hours to sit with my partner. So, so yeah, maybe that's good to discuss here. So what can people maybe do? Like you said, these smaller moments, you kind of gave one example of just checking in in morning and evening. Are there other kind of ideas that you know from couples that you work with that maybe could work well for people to do this? And just, I call it maybe sound bites or small moments of connection. Well, the, the next one I'd like to talk about, and I've, I've got lots of them. Um, the, the next one I'd like to talk about is, is when you see your partner, um, either at the end of the day or the middle of the day. Like you said, we're busy. We need to make dinner. We, we have kids. We have animals. Um, I can't tell you how many times I've heard that people greet their animals before they greet each other. Um, you need to make sure that, you're, that you remember that your partner was there before any of the other things in your life. And so you need to take a moment and greet your partner. Um, the Gottman say that a meaningful greet is, is a two second kiss and you need to actually stop what you're doing in order to do this. I usually say, I usually say that the person that's coming in is the one that's, that needs to do the greeting and the other person needs to stop whatever they're doing. It's only for about five seconds. It's, it's acknowledging that you are um, a partner acknowledging that you love each other and acknowledging that there is something different between your relationship than anyone else in the house. I like that. So it's honoring and also saying, again, you are important. And I guess it communicates that. And I also think one thing I just want to, because I really like this, it's a, a fantastic idea to just add that, you know, all I say all time is not equal is a saying I always have because I think once we do this, whether it's two seconds or five minutes or two hours, what's important, and we'll talk more about this later, is giving them your actual attention and presence, right? And be fully present with them to not have lots of distractions, maybe incorporate eye contact, maybe some physical touch and just be fully present with them. And, you know, five, five seconds of that I find can be more valuable in connecting than half an hour with someone when they're sitting doing lots of other things and you can sense they're not fully there. Absolutely. Absolutely. I completely agree. Uh, the next one I'd like to discuss is bedtime. Um, I, the couples that I meet, um, not a lot of them even sleep in the same room. And so there is, there is a separation that has formed with people just not really coming together at night. 
And if you if you have different schedules, if you have this and this, the same thing, um, another just five minute, someone has to stick at night to the other one. Um, if you want to make it longer, I'm not telling people that they need to change their schedule. They need to go to bed at the same time, but whoever is going to bed first, you give a kiss, you give a hug, you give a fist bump, you, you do whatever you do, but you say, good night. I love you. Um, I'm heading to bed now. So there's some acknowledgement that again, you're a couple, you are connected and you're ending the day on a good note, just like you ended, you started the day on a good note. I like that one. So again, it's another really good ritual to have and just add in. And, you know, it just made me think of something. My my grandmother, who was happily married for 70 plus years. Um, wow. Yeah, I know. And they were really a beautiful, <laughs> beautiful couple, her and my granddad. They, they grew to their late 90s together. Um, and I always saw them smile and have this beautiful support network. And you know, one thing she always told me, again, this is not scientific, but I still think it's valid. She said, never go to bed angry. She said, if you have conflicts, that's fine, as we'll talk about later. You know, it's normal to fight and there are good ways that you can fight. But she said, never leave it, never leave it to linger. So make sure you sit down and and deal with what it is that's going on before you go to sleep. Um, and I just thought it was a very interesting little point from a from an old wise woman. Absolutely, absolutely. I know that that is sometimes difficult for people to do. Um, so at least if they're these these connections that we're talking about today help with with keeping you together. Um, I like to explain a concept that the Gottmans have taught me is called your emotional point bank. Um, so basically, if you want to think about it as a big a big jar with cotton balls in it. And when you're really connected, when, when intimacy is strong, you're, that cotton ball jar is overflowing. You are you know, acknowledging each other, you're kissing each other, you're, you're making small moments for each other, you're, you're interacting at nighttime. Um, but when things get complicated, things get busy and you stop doing this, those cotton balls kind of start coming out of the jar. And when those cotton balls start coming out, you're just kind of ignoring each other. You're, you know, on technology more. You're not really, you're noticing, you're nitpicking, you're noticing things that you don't like about your partner. When the emotional point bank is full, you don't notice those things about your partner. You're able to overlook a lot of things. So in order to, to keep this concept of never going to bed mad, we need to keep this emotional point jar full and this is and people people kind of look at me funny when I say this but these small connections are the best ways to keep this to keep your intimacy going and to keep this emotional point jar full yeah I really like that and I think we often forget that it's all the small tiny things day to day that accumulate to the big things and you know, I often hear this, oh, but if we are in love, it should just happen automatically. That's very much this 
romantic idea i think that came from hollywood <laughs> that you know we also have here in europe that you know it should just all be beautiful and we should dance on the beach and be happy because that you know and sex should just happen automatically if we are in love and blah 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 and you know we do know that that's simply not true because uh, a relationship is only as good as the two people in it and the effort and time they're willing to invest i guess like anything else like our businesses we suddenly stop doing anything on it it will eventually fall apart slowly right and i guess a relationship is the same that it takes ongoing effort and it's only as good as the effort we are willing to actually put into it and in that way we have a big choice but i just think it's important to get away from this myth that it should all just happen because i feel that have really caused a lot of destruction in relationships absolutely absolutely which is which is coming up to my next point is dating um there's there's nothing and wh- whether whether you're legally married or you live together um or you you've been together for a long time um dating tends to go by the wayside and when you want to really really connect with your partner it it just it just those emotional point banks are full 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 when you ask your partner out on a date and I mean, I actually ask them out on a date, not, hey, you want to go grab some dinner or, hey, you want to go to the movies or something, plan it. You remember when, when you were dating and you planned everything out and you got dressed up and, and it was exciting and you had so much to talk about? Um, that still needs to happen when, when you've been together for a significant amount of time. So what I like to say is that partner switch each week and one partner asks one person out of the week and then they plan that date and then the other one the other one switches um if you cannot go out if if you need to you know hire a babysitter and that's not possible then these dates need to happen at home because they they do need to happen and what what how do we do this well we don't talk about we don't talk about kids if you have them um, the house. Um, we even try to sometimes stay away from work topics if if they are stressful events. A lot of people forget how to do date talk. So so when you're on a date, you need to have date talk, and that also means no technology. Um, and it also means you need to figure out when that date starts. If it starts in the car, you put those phones away and you just look at each other and you you talk. Yeah. And again, it's making that dedicated time. I think with my partner, we have both once a week where we do exactly what you're saying now. And also we have this commitment that every month we we basically get grandmother to to have the kids and then we go away for one night and we then swap planning it so i do it every two months she does it every two months and we've done that consistently and it really works because it brings these moments of connections back it reminds us that we are important too we are also an adult relationship and not just co-parents um and yeah having that consistency is has been so important and I also just want to say so even when people go on these dates I think one thing that's really important to remember because often what I see is 
and I remember this, I was married before and um, got divorced. And essentially, when I look back, what often happens, and I see this for many couples, is over time, we start getting guarded. We learn, oh, he doesn't like when I talk about this, or she might get upset. And we start becoming less and less vulnerable and try and tiptoe around each other. And that makes a conversation not emotionally connecting. We might talk about a few logistics, and then people sit there and don't know what. And I remember being in that place, and I thought, even when we went on dates with my ex, wife I thought oh but the connection is not coming back so this brings us back to it's not just the time it's also the quality like you say to be fully present but also remember to be vulnerable and to take that risk because that is where the connection can happen so even if we have time together but only discuss you know cleaning the house and who should take out the kids and have we paid the bills and yeah you're probably not going to walk home and feeling hugely connected so remember to continue to take those risks and again if you get caught in conflict cycles which we'll talk about later then of course go get professional help so you are able to actually hear each other absolutely absolutely and you always have to remember that that like you said when when you don't work on your relationship it it stops working and we can equate it with with a job and i tell people this all the time you know if you're not working at your job you you you're going to let get let go you know you're going to have you're going to be talked about there's going to be consequences for your actions but for some reason we believe that when we are partners and we love each other that that's enough that we can you know deal with with the family and the and the the chores and the you know activities and the children if you have them and we we focus all of our energy on that and what happens we we end up so tired and just so drained by the end of the day that we don't have anything left for for each other so putting in small moments throughout the day keeps you connected and it just does not take a lot of time and so you have to remember that you're like, oh, okay, well, I'll do this at the end of the day. I'll do this at the end of the day. We're tired. We're, we're busy. We're tired. And so we need to constantly be, be thinking about this stuff throughout the day, just small, just small moments. So by the end of the day, we are connected and we can just sit together and hold hands. And even if there's chaos going around, we can feel connected. Yeah, and I think, and again, I, I want to hear more, maybe examples from you. But one thing I can just say is, again, for my own relationship, in these small moments when I'm really tired, I had a long day of work, the kids have been up late, and, and I know that I'm a parent myself with three kids, so I know how that is. But I know that even when you lie in bed, so before going to sleep, or wherever you sit on the couch, sofa, wherever you are, just look each other in the eyes for X amount of minutes. You can cope two, five minutes, whatever feels good to you. And just look each other in the eyes, maybe hold each other's hands. It can be that simple. So actually, if you're really tired, talking is not even necessary. Sometimes simple eye contact and present can be all that's needed. So it really is possible to do even when you are very, very tired. We have done this when we've been up till 4 a.m. in the night and we're exhausted, when we lie down before going to bed, we turn towards each other and just look each other in the eyes and you know touch each other in some way, have a hand on each other so there's some kind of physical contact. And even that can be enough to bring back, here we are, we're together. Um, so just a little thing there that people can do is if, like you said, they simply are exhausted. Um, so yeah, if you do you have any other small tips around that but people can do small moments of connection that they can try and implement 
I do. I do. I, I want to um, switch and, and talk about, and talk about things that we can do individually. And one of the really important, you know, really important things that we can do is honor each other when, when we're sick. Um, we need to look to our partners. If you two are listening to this together right now and say, how do I want to be treated when, when I'm sick? Um, do I want to be left alone? Do I want, you know, to have the entire um, pharmacy brought to me? Do I want chicken soup? Um, you, you can really honor your partner and build intimacy when you're doing the things that they want done. And this is, this is a really good one. Now I kind of joke with people and I say, if you're both sick, this is, this is off the table. Um, but what you can really, really do is help people and, and really feel connected because if you're, if you're down, um, I don't know about you, but when I'm, when I'm off, um, I'm just not a hundred percent and I need more and I need my partner to be doing more than, than normal because I normally do a lot. So when I'm sick, I need to be left alone a little bit more. And when my partner is, is doing more and this and that, I can look at my partner and be like, wow, I really feel connected to them right now. So this is just another example of how you can form a connection without, without spending a lot of time doing anything at all. Yeah, I, I'm so happy actually you brought that up because also I think when we are sick, it's what I call a, a key attachment moment, meaning these are some of the moments where we feel more vulnerable and we need our attachment to show up. And if they don't, it causes even more damage than just the small day-to-day -day things because this is when we really, really need that person that we trust. And this is why, again, understanding what your partner needs, the way you describe and getting that map, meaning we're meaning, you know, that we're actually able to show up in a way that's meaningful to them. And that then, again, builds more trust, because if we're able to do that and meet them, then that will enhance the trust and show we're a reliable attachment. Right. So I feel a moment like that is probably even more critical than than you know a small event like do you remember all the shopping in a supermarket the day before so you know discussing how you want to be treated and what support you need when you're sick um, yeah that's a really good one and i guess very relevant at the moment when we're, we're in the whole coronavirus um exactly. issue no brilliant exactly. and also i guess because we started we talked a bit about earlier in this podcast about technology and uh, yeah, I guess technology has some benefits. I guess when we're isolated now, it does give us a way to connect like you and me are doing now and on video calls. But I want to talk about how we can maybe prevent technology from ruining our connection and our relationships because I really feel it's so disruptive. I'm lucky to have a partner who's amazing at putting away her phone. But I know in the past that yeah, how disruptive it's been, both myself in past relationships, when a partner constantly is on their phone, how it completely breaks connection, and you can spend the whole day together and yet not really feel connected to that person. And I also see it when people are out, how they sit and check their phone constantly. So, yeah, I just wonder if you could talk a bit about that, maybe how we can avoid that, and then also the consequences of being so addicted to these devices. Exactly. Um, so we we have we have to say that technology can be useful with these connections, and it can also be very damaging. Um, I think that 
you both partners need to have a technology rule and, and what that means. Because when you are, when let's say you're, you're doing a date, okay, um, you need to say, okay, we're going to only check our phones if it's, if it's the babysitter, if you have children, or if you have a, a loved one. Um, but those phones just being out is a distraction. So you're going to, when, if you're going to connect at home, if you're going to have a date at home, you need to put the phones away. Um, and you can say, like, I've had couples where they say, okay, no phones for the weekends. And we put the phones away. If, if you are, if you are actively saying, okay, we're working on a relationship right now, we're working on one of these connections, Technology needs to be needs to be put aside for the moment. It just needs to be agreed upon. I mean, I have couples that that come up with some cute things to put technology to put the phones outside of their bedroom, and they agree no technology in the bedroom. Um, I have couples that that feel as of right now that they can only communicate via text that they're that they're more comfortable doing that um i'm helping you have to help people through that and be able like you just said you know just have that eye contact and it's extremely difficult in this world right now to have eye contact with people when when you're constantly having those beeps and those those noises that that come out of the phone so it's it's a 5 minute conversation that needs to happen where you say okay we're going to cut off our phones at eight o'clock, 10 o'clock. Um, and, and I'm including other devices as well here. I'm including, you know, iPads, TV, um, everything can be, can be, if you are doing a connection ritual, if you're doing something to connect as a couple, technology needs to be put aside for however long you're doing it. Yeah, I like that. Thank you for bringing that up. And I think I, I want to add as well on top of that, that, you know, if you want to discuss any more serious issues or debates, then do not do it by text message because one of the most important elements of communication is being able to visually see each other and both are the other person's eyes, but also their body language. And text messages is the worst way of communicating because, you know, misunderstandings are you know, bound to happen if you debate anything serious, anything around triggers. So I would absolutely say, and I've done this in my own relationship with my partner, where we absolutely banned discussing. We said, you know, if we want to discuss anything important and it's urgent, we can do it by a video phone call. But preference, we will wait and set up a time and then speak face to face about it. But we never, ever do it by text message. Um, and it's a very good rule. Trust me, in the beginning, we had severely disturbances and drama that was unnecessary purely because of debating through text. So again, it's just an additional thing I really want to add for people to be mindful of that often conflict will escalate through text messages because it's so easy to misunderstand each other. So just don't do it. <laughs> Absolutely. And I'm sure a lot of people are are what what <laughs> right now um everything everything that we're talking about is a work in progress so so if this is your form of communication right now um you two need to 
need to look at each other and talk about it. And what are we gaining from it? What what are we missing from it? Can can we try to talk in person? Can we can we just reduce the text talk for, for now? So it doesn't have to be like okay, this no more text talk. Um, this is this is all a work in progress. And those small connections. I'm saying that technology can be useful because you know it it will brighten my day if my partner you know sends me you know a joke or or something something along those lines. Even even if we are in the house together, if he's working and I'm working. Um, and we can't physically talk. So technology can be useful to connect. But when you are saying we are we are doing connecting time, we are doing date time. That's the time when those when those devices go away. As well as if there is something more serious to talk about, you need to be able to look at your partner in the face and be able to talk to them. Yes, it's more difficult, but please, please, please remember that that's where intimacy gets built, and we need to keep building it. Yeah, that's a really good point because absolutely you're right. Technology can be a way to also check in, organize logistics, sending each other jokes. So it can definitely have a positive impact. So I think for me, it was mainly just reminding people if you have more serious issues or issues of conflict to avoid trying to discuss that by text. But I'm happy you brought that up. I think what I want to jump over to a bit is talk a bit about the the four horsemen and I guess the destructive cycles because it's all good that we give people you know, good tips about how to create a more flourishing relationship, but that might be difficult if they're stuck in some of these four horsemen. Would you be able to just talk a little bit about them and maybe what people can do if they find themselves stuck in some of these cycles? Of course, of course. So the, the, the four horsemen is a concept from the Gottman method, and they came up with four terms. I'm going to say the terms for, I'm going to say the terms and then I'm going to say the antidote and then I will explain what that means. So the first one is criticism. Criticism is when you, when you, 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 you leave your clothes everywhere. You do this, you do that. You're just, you're just kind of putting your partner down. Um, the antidote to criticism is use a gentle startup. Um, the example that I used earlier was saying how you feel. When you talk to your partner gently and you tell your partner how you feel, um, the, the, good, the good way to remember to do this is you say, I feel whatever it is you're feeling, I need whatever you're feeling. So the example I used earlier about about leaving your stuff all over. The criticism would be like, you leave your stuff on the kitchen table all the time. Okay, so I use the word you and I, I use the word all. All right, so what will happen after that? That goes into our next criticism, which is defensiveness. Defensiveness is when you defend your actions or you use self-sabotaging where you, you say, oh, I always do it. So if we're going to be using the antidote to criticism and we're using a gentle startup, we're going to say, I feel, I feel that I feel so cluttered when the kitchen table is, is messy. I feel, and I need us to work better as a team to keep the kitchen table uncluttered. 
Okay, so when I use the antidote to criticism, I'm not attacking. I am not. I am not stating anything that my partner is doing. I'm just completely talking about what I need. And so to come back to that, instead of being defensive, the antidote to defensiveness is take a small part of responsibility for what your partner is saying. If your partner is feeling something and they are being truthful and honest with you and they are putting out their emotions, please, please, please be respectful of that. And you can come back and say, hey, you know, I, I thank you so much for saying that. I really understand how important it is to keep the table uncluttered for you. Let's come up with a plan to, to do that. Okay, I will take responsibility for my actions. So criticism and defensiveness usually go together. And remember, the antidotes for criticism is use a gentle startup. And the antidote for defensiveness is to take a small part of responsibility. And so the next one that we get into is contempt. Um, contempt is just when you're at a higher plane of criticism, when you think that you are you are better than your partner and you talk down to your partner um, when you're just dripping with, with hatred for your partner. The antidote to that is to be able to identify your own feelings. Okay, I used to love when my partner did this and now I'm sitting here just looking at them with venom because I just don't like it anymore. It's time to take a step back and say, what's going on with me? Why am I different now? What 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 is going on with me? Am I tired? Um, am I am I stressed out? Um, have we not been connecting so much anymore? Um, I need to take a look inside and I need to say, okay, this is what's going on with me and this is what we need to change. Um, so the fourth and the last horseman is called stonewalling. So when your partner is yelling at you and you are, especially with criticism, you are, you might have the tendency to stonewall. Stonewall is when you're actively, you look like you're actively engaged in the conversation, but you're gone. You're, you're not able to process information. You're not able to to talk anymore, um, which leads to another concept called flooding. Um, where if our heart rate is normally um, in the 70s or 80, if your heart rate goes above 100, that means you are not able to stay in the conversation anymore. Um, the antidote to stonewalling is to self-soothe. Um, it is to be able to first identify that you're stonewalling and to let your partner know that you need some time and to do a relaxation exercise in order to in order to calm down. So normally the pattern is people, um, criticism and offensive go together and then contempt and stonewalling go together. Thank you so much for clarifying that. And I think I also just want to say to people listening, don't be too hard on yourself. When I first learned about these ideas, I got really upset with myself that I couldn't always implement them when we were having a fight. And I think, you know, the last part you say about stonewalling is really important. And I think in general, actually, that when we are triggered, 
we start getting flooded and obviously we step into an adrenaline response and it's very difficult to do any of these things when we are triggered and have adrenaline taking over if not almost impossible and therefore self-soothing and regulating ourselves so we can calm ourselves down i always say is the first step because you know when we are really really triggered yeah most of us are unable to do this so take care of yourself first remember you can only show up with what you are able to gift from yourself so you know even understanding these theories always take that time if you need a bit of space to go for a run to go hit your boxing bag what to sit and do a mindfulness exercise whatever you need go do that first and then have you know engage again with your partner because until you are in a state where you have calmed your system down you'll probably be unable to do these tools so it's just something i really wanted to quickly add just because i know the the barriers that i ran into or the walls i ran into when i first tried to implement it and then when i learned to self-regulate then suddenly i could see the tools really working well absolutely and i i like to tell everyone that this is a work in progress and i don't i use this in my life um and i teach it to to all of the couples that i work with and it's a work in progress um all these terms that we talked about today you can identify that you use them now you know that there's a term to it but this is just a work in progress it's, it's just if you open up your minds and you listen to what it is and just start attempting to to be gentle with each other and start attempting to identify when you're too overloaded to to stay in a conversation or you're defending your actions that's that's all that is needed you know just identifying it together and working together as a team to build intimacy yeah and having that awareness i think that's a really good point and i think it kind of brings me on naturally to the next next point i want to discuss because again you're right, it's a slow, gentle process and we're not going to get it right all the time. So when we do, you know, mess up and we go into destructive cycles and sometimes damage is done, sometimes trust is broken. Um, yeah, what are ways that couples can then try and restore that trust again and and I guess do some repair work around, especially if it's major events, let's say, a husband were not able to be there when his wife was giving birth and that was very important or maybe they were not able to be there for each other when one of the partners was sick some so some major breach of trust how can couples sit down and actually start repairing some of this i think it you you have to you have to look at um it's it's kind of it's difficult to to take that word trust and and repair it. You have to repair the small moments in order to build trust. So if trust is broken, if you if you don't rely on your partner, if you don't think that your partner is going to show up, it's it's rebuilding this intimacy in order to in order to rebuild trust. So whoever wants to repair, have a repair attempt, it, it doesn't matter who it is. Um, the Gottmans also have a concept called um, either um, turning towards or turning away. And whenever you do something for your partner, it's called a bid, B-I-D. And when you are doing a bid, you are either, you know, getting getting your partner a coffee or or opening the door for them or picking up something that they like in the store. You have a choice to either receive that or not 
you can say thank you or you can say, no, I don't really like that kind of coffee anymore. So you can either accept the bid or you can reject the bid. And in order to start repairing um, bigger events, it needs to start with smaller events and you can work your way up to, to the repair attempt. And it's going to take both partners to do it. One person cannot repair an attempt. Um, both partners, the other partner has to receive the, the invitation and accept it. So if it's constantly one partner that's trying to repair and the other partner is only accepting, it, it's, it's not going to work for long term. Both partners have to be willing to, to repair when it happens and talk about it. I really like that point, and you're right. So when one makes a bit, the other one has to be able to want to receive it. Otherwise, it's it's very difficult to start that process. And also, you're right. It's in the small things again that build up the bigger picture of trust. So those are are really good points. One thing I want to say as well is that I feel if you are the person that might have have broken some trust or, or have been unable to you know be there in a critical moment. One thing I found very important is to acknowledge my partner's experience. It doesn't mean you have to agree because often people say, oh, but I don't agree with my partner. And that's a very important distinction, I think, to understand that we don't have to agree with how they saw events or see the experience or how it even impacted them. But we do have to acknowledge their experience. So if they say, you not being there, my birth was really painful, I feel really alone then you can acknowledge their experience because it is their experience, their subjective experience. And you could say, I can really hear that that was really painful and X, you felt X and, you know, I can hear that you felt really alone in that moment. And I'm truly sorry about that because we can be truly sorry about the impact we have. Even if we feel we haven't done anything wrong, you obviously still don't want to have an impact on your partner that's hurtful. So I just wanted to also add that in there because I feel often when I speak to people, they misunderstand a bit the fact is that acknowledgement does not need mean agreement. And it's okay to not agree, but we still have to acknowledge, I think, for repair work to start happening. The partner needs to know that we can understand their experience and the impact it had on them. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's another concept um, that the Gottmans have. It's called aftermath of an incident. Um, and to take responsibility for for your part in the incident is very important. And when you are truly able to apologize, you need to just make sure that you're that you ask your partner if they will accept your apology. And your partner, if your partner accepts your apology, that builds those those cotton balls just come flying out of that, flying out of there because because it just feels so good when when you what you're saying is received and the information that you're saying is is validated, and you're both right. You both have feelings. Um, they don't need to be the same. Your realities can be completely different, but you need to validate each other's feelings all the time. Yeah, this is probably the most important point, I think, of the whole podcast so far is, is for me at least, is the fact that you're right, because often couples debate the logistics of their view they will say this is what happened no this is what happened and actually it's not that important 
the what actually exactly happened and who's right it's kind of irrelevant what's important is that we can acknowledge each other's emotional experience of what happened and if we can do that it's actually relatively easy often to find a way to move forward when we stop discussing the logistics of events and what we feel happened and who was right in those events um so yeah i just feel again it brings us back to what we talked about earlier about the emotional conversation and creating an emotional map and because that's really where we relate we call it relationships that's where we relate um so yeah i just thought that was a really important point i wanted to to kind of re-emphasize and i think i don't know if this is right or whether i'm making this up and heard it from somewhere else but is it gottman that talk about accepting influence from our partner yes yes that is that is right and i i really wanted to to make a point that even if you both are right, the relationship is is right. And in order for the relationship to be right, there's always going to need to be compromise when it comes to comes to how you believe and how you believe. And so we only have a few core beliefs that are just really, really strong. And almost everything else can be compromised. But when you have a situation where both of your core beliefs are being are being questioned. Um, it takes a lot more effort to to compromise. But if you are already a strong couple, if you've already built up the intimacy, if you've done these small movements, it's it's easier. It's easier to to take influence, and you don't you don't need to tell your partner what to do. You need to listen to your partner in order for your partner to take your influence. So just listening, just being an empathetic partner, hearing what they have to say, repeating what they say is, is the best path to be able to take influence from your partner. Yeah, that's wonderful. So repeat what they say. And again, that also helps us stay present, I guess, with what they're expressing and also make them realize that we were present and that we acknowledge their experience so we don't put our own interpretation on it. And again, it, it kind of brings me back to this point that rather than discussing about who's right or what happened, because the truth is when we go into that discussion, we all lose and we are all wrong because when we're in a fight, we're also in a stress response. And when we're in a stress response, our memory is severely impacted and does not work properly. So the truth is probably neither of us fully remember correctly what happened so that discussion in itself is absurd um, and again yeah you're right if we can just listen to each other and acknowledge what's being expressed that's where we can have a smooth beautiful way forward um, absolutely absolutely yeah. and it, it is beautiful it is beautiful when when you listen to each other and you can respect each other's point of views and and work together as a team to make your relationship better and that's that's what it's all about. Yeah, and I think it's a good reminder of what relationships are because relationships is yeah, being able and willing to see the other person's worldview and their world, which of course is subjective, which is why I said again the fact are kind of irrelevant in, in many instances because it's much more about understanding how does my partner experience a world and actually by listening to them and when they express themselves or what they feel happen and the impact on them we get a beautiful insight into their map and how they interpret and see the world which can actually be very connecting if we're able to listen and not be stuck in trying to enforce our own 
experience onto them and saying no this happened and just remember that it's okay the fact that they have a different experience doesn't make your experience wrong it just means exactly that that it's two different experiences and the connecting moment is when we share these experiences and just see each other for that in that without anybody needing to be right or even that there needs to be an outcome one outcome that's right maybe it's beautiful that we end up with with two different two different outcomes, two different worldviews, and then we have been able to get an insight into the other person's soul and mind, and, and that's a beautiful thing in itself. So I wanted to ask you quickly as well, it's actually the last question I really want to ask you today, and it's more about when people sit there, and maybe they set some time aside, maybe they're going on a date, is there some questions that people can ask that you find is good at leading them into intimacy. Um, is there, and again, I don't know if, if there are some some that you can recommend, but have you seen anything specific in, in therapy or with couples that you find are really useful to take them into intimate conversations? Um, I think that it's, it's not really about asking questions. It's more about listening. Um, if, you, if you can uh, just spend five minutes each um, talking and your partner just repeat whatever it is that you're saying. Um, I heard you say that you had a stressful day today and you felt overwhelmed. Um, that, that is, that is a good first step for people to just, to just start building the intimacy and, and listen, because it just feels so good to be listened to. Yeah. And I think, that's a beautiful point to leave everyone on. And I, I agree so much because I've in the past had, you know, books or here 100 questions to ask for intimacy. And I don't find that it really works very well because I think you're right. What we really truly want is to be seen and accepted. And if we can give that to our partner and also get that from our partner, that is a beautiful, intimate and connecting space to share. So I really liked your answer here that it's not about specific questions. It's about sitting and sharing and being willing to listen and try and understand your partner and see them. Um, so that's a beautiful, I think, last last point here to make. So I really want to thank you so much for coming on this podcast today. And I hope that we can get you on another time in the future again so yeah thank you so much from me and also the listeners out there i hope you enjoyed the show today don't forget to subscribe to this channel and come back for our new weekly podcast also leave a review to keep the positive energy going that really keeps me motivated to make more of these podcasts if you want to learn the key skills to a safe intimate and passionate relationship then head over to sensor.com and join the free one-hour webinar the link is in the description you'll learn the four reasons that relationships break down the how your attachment style may fuel conflict with your partner and how to break that cycle, why people cheat and the one tip that can prevent it, the simple three-step formula to lasting love. So thank you for joining us today and I look forward to seeing you next week for another podcast. Mm-hmm.